I encourage you to take your Bibles and open to the book of Genesis and chapter 15. Today we're looking at Genesis chapter 15 and our message is from fear to faith. We saw a few weeks ago Abram moved from faith to fear. Now it's the opposite. As most of you know that I was once a youth pastor here. I remember one time working on a t-shirt design for summer camp. It was actually this t-shirt, actually one of my one of my faves from all my years at camp. It was just a few years ago I got rid of of my t-shirt collection of 20 something years of camps. And um I I pulled this out and in my mind I I was actually devastated when I pulled this out because actually you see here it was no fear was all the rage back then when we were doing this and that was everywhere we kind of tagged along on that for our camp theme but I, anyway when I pulled it out I was I was like yeah this is my favorite shirt I love this shirt and then I was really devastated because I looked on there and I realized it was 1994 I thought it was just you know like a few years ago that's 21 years ago I mean, I realize that half of the folks that are here either weren't old enough or weren't even born yet so they could be, could have even participated in camp. And I realized just what a dinosaur I have become. <laughs> I'll think of a way, I'll think of a way to get even. <laughs> anyway. When we were making this shirt, one of the things we were, we did it for this little square on the back, we wanted to fill it with things people are afraid of. And so I remember we took a survey of all kinds of people from, from our church and the other churches and just folks around just to get a list of things. And I remember being shocked at just how many things there were to be afraid of. Here's a few that run here. The dark, dark alleys, dark creaky stairs. Home Alone, Monsters, Vampires, Zombies, The Boogeyman, Things Under the Bed, Aliens, Lions and Tigers and Bears, oh my, and Spiders and Snakes and Falling Snakes and Cockroaches and Alligators and Big Dogs and Earthquakes and Flood and Fire and Thunderstorm and Tornadoes and Speaking in Public, Being Embarrassed, Failure, Rejection, Helplessness. Spam, the kind in a can. Uh, strangers, Satan, dentists, needles, doctors, my principal, the boatman's guy, if some of you remember him, Barney, <laughs> the IRS, bell bottoms, heights, falling, airplanes, small places, large crowds, getting married, staying single, being alone, going bald, growing old, wrinkles, the future, nuclear war, drowning, being murdered, death, hell. Wow. Fear is a big deal. Fear can be crippling. It comes in all kinds of forms. And along with its cousins, worry and anxiety, many of us know how fear can paralyze Fear can intimidate us. And I wonder, is there a way to conquer fear in our life? 
I believe we'll find some answers today here in Genesis chapter 15. As we continue looking at the life of this man, Abraham, the man in whom the New Testament writers call and describe our spiritual ancestor, our father, the father of our faith. As God deals with Abraham and his fears, we'll learn how to fight fear in our own lives. And also along the way, we're going to, I hope, see some some of the marvels of this chapter and Perhaps some of the reason why this is often labeled one of, if not the most important chapter in the Bible. As chapter 15 opens, Abram is afraid. And God speaks to Abram to address his fear. Look with me at the very first verse here in in, uh, chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. We know Abram's afraid because the first thing God says to Abram is, don't fear. Pretty good clue that he's afraid. God doesn't waste words and he knows how we feel. But to to help us understand this, we need to look at, it begins with, actually these words, it begins with, after this. Or some of your translations will say, after these things, we have to go, after what things? After what? We have to remember back to last week, if you were here or if you weren't here, you got to play catch up real fast. The chapter before has some, it's packed with action. This chapter doesn't have lots of action, but last week did. Abram assembles his team of, of special forces, his little private army, and, and, and together with some of his neighbors, they go out to rescue his nephew Lot who, and, and his family and, and all of the citizens of the city of Sodom and, and others from the cities of the plain who have been captured by four kings from the east who came and, and conquered and plundered and pillaged and, and they were getting even with these cities who had rebelled against against their tyranny. Abram and his small forces extract the folks. They they rescue the folks. They have a marvelous and dramatic victory. They return with all the people and with all the wealth of all the cities of the plain. And then Abram has a marvelous encounter with this mysterious Melchizedek. And, and then he has a bold stand against the king of Sodom where he refuses to take any of the wealth of Sodom and, and these other cities saying, I won't, I've made a vow to God not to take even a shoelace from you. So you can never say, I made Abram rich. That's what happened in the chapter before. And now Abram is afraid, and we wonder, what is he afraid of? Didn't he have a, just have a great victory? Didn't he just have a high pinnacle of faith? May I say, absolutely. And that's something that you and I ought to learn to expect. When we have those times where we of success, when we have times, whether it's it's success in various things in life, whether it's something spiritually where we have a great moment of victory, we can expect that following on the heels of that, often there is time of doubt, time of testing, or time of fear. 
You can go to the story of Elijah and see that play out in his life. What is he afraid of? I can't say with absolute certainty because it never says. But based on what happened in the, in the chapter before and based on what God says here, I think that there are probably two things that Abram is primarily concerned about and, and fearful about. The first is he's probably fearful because he just realizes after he gets back, the crowds have gone off, they've quit singing the praises, his name kind of disappears off the news for just a little bit, and, and it hits him. I have just ticked off the four most powerful kings in the Middle East. <laughs> it may not be very long till they regroup and come after me. Secondly, it may very well have begun to, to the questions start to come into his mind. Was that really the right thing to do to turn down all that wealth that was offered to me and let it all go back to those evil people at Sodom? He probably especially felt that when he got home after the victory and he talked to Sarai who said, how did it go? Well, he won the war, got everybody back. It was awesome. And then she heard that he just turned down all the wealth of Sodom. Some of you guys can appreciate that, (laughs) what that discussion might have been in that home. Well, don't know exactly what he's afraid of, but let me come, we come to the first answer. What do we do when we face fear? It's right here in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. The best antidote for you and for me to fear is for you and me to listen to the word of God. For you and I to learn and to know and to saturate our minds and our hearts in the Word of God. That is the very best antidote for fear. What does God say? You know, people around us in our world, they look to all kinds of places when they're looking for wisdom, when they're looking for advice, when they're looking for help, when they're looking for hope, when they're looking for inspiration, when they're trying to figure out how to handle the storms, when they're trying to figure out how to handle the difficulties in life. They look all kinds of places. So they'll they'll listen to friends, and they'll listen to TV, and they'll listen to magazines, and they'll listen to books, and they'll listen to doctors, and they'll listen to counselors, and they they might even go on Facebook to get advice, or or go to Wikipedia because it has all the answers. Reality is, what some of those say may have some value, and others have absolutely no value, and others do great harm. But the reality is there's only one place that you and I can go where we can find absolute truth. Pure, undiluted, unvarnished, unchanging, timeless truth. The only place we can find it, right here, the Word of God. See, when the eternal, when the sovereign Eternal Creator God speaks. What He says matters because what He says is true. and never changes. Whether our concerns are about our money, whether our concerns are about our marriage, whether our concerns are about our relationships, whether our concern is about our future, whether our concerns are about our present problems, 
You and I need the eternal perspective that we can, and the perfect wisdom that we can only get from God, and so we only get it from His Word. Let me remind you that God's Word is often contrary to conventional human wisdom. God's Word is also often contrary to what you and I want to hear. See, what we want to hear is, it's okay, you can do anything you want. And God says, obey your parents. God says, submit to the authorities. Even if you don't like the authorities, you're to submit to them. What we want to hear is, go get what's yours. And God says, give up your rights. Serve others. We may not like it, but what God tells us is the truth and He tells us what we need both for now and for eternity. And so we need to listen to the Word of God. And God goes ahead and He he answers Abram's fears. And God gives two statements here. He says, first of all, He says, I am your shield. I'm your shield. I'm your protection. Abram, you're worried about maybe these kings coming in. You're worried about... about. And by the way, he, he addresses these two fears that I think are, are at the root of so much of what you and I fear. We have the same fears. They tend to be about our safety, our well-being. They tend to be about our provision, our riches, our wealth, our money, our future. God says, are you worried about protection? Abram, know this, I'm your shield. You didn't win the victory, if we remember last week. Abram didn't win it. God did. And so it is, we may think that we find protection in things, but we do not. I wonder, what do you look to for for protection? Do you look to your house security system for safety and security? Do you look to an insurance policy for security and safety? Maybe your big dog. Maybe a gun. Your husband. No wonder you're afraid. (laughs) No wonder you have fears. None of those things will save you. Every one of them can fail and most of them will fail from time to time. There is only one place, one person where there is security that never fails and that is in God alone. God says, I'm your shield, Abram. And then God says, I am your very great reward. Now some of your translations will say your reward will be very great. The reality is that phrase can be translated both directions. And there are your different translations, depending on what you have, they're kind of split. Half of them go one way, half of them go the other. Both of them can be correct, and actually both of them are correct. Your reward as a follower of Jesus Christ is very great. But it's also true, and it's also correct, and this is where I lean in this translation, that your very great reward is God Himself. Our greatest reward will not be heaven. 
Our greatest reward will not be a mansion in heaven. Our greatest reward will not be a crown. Our greatest reward will not be a robe. It will not be gold and silver or whatever else. Our greatest reward will be God Himself. The other things will be nice. But how often you and I tend to get mixed up on what's really valuable. And we tend to pursue even not only just the eternal stuff, we tend to pursue the stuff of this life and the, the stuff of this world. And we think there is treasure and we miss the fact we get, you see, we get hung up in the gifts and we forget the giver. We need to remember that our great reward is in Him. That's why the Apostle Paul said this, I, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. After this marvelous verse, we could do a whole sermon on that, but after this marvelous verse, Abram has a question and it's he says, he says, Lord, O Sovereign Lord, verse 2, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. The tone here is not Abram complaining. Rather, there's this heartfelt cry, this pain and confusion. And it's obvious because, well, it's not obvious to us in English, but it's obvious in the Hebrew because he begins with this. He says, Sovereign Lord. Literally in the Hebrew, it is Adonai Yahweh. Adonai, which means Lord. Master, for him to say that is to say, Lord, you're in control. You're in charge. I'm not. And I submit to you. But, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. I'm childless. And I think this is perhaps even more than the other two things. This is perhaps what is troubling Abram the very most. Because he repeats it twice. He goes on the next verse. He says, and Abram said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. See, we repeat things for emphasis. And Abram here is saying, Lord, we've got a problem. We've got no children. Childness is, is a difficult thing for people today, for, for most couples today. If they don't have children, they, most of them are, it's a struggle to deal with. It was even harder in this society. And it's especially hard for Abram because God promised. God said, you're going to have descendants and it's, it's been ten years. Lord, we're getting old. Lord, I, I don't understand. God speaks again. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. God answers with definite clarity. Abram, you will have a son and he will be from your own body. 
just a little editorial note and a spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's still going to be a while. We're going to find out. It's going to be another 15 years. But he didn't know that here. But Abram, you will have a son. You will have an heir. And then God says, come here, Abram. Let's take a little field trip. Let's go step outside. Step out of the tent. Let's go out here. Look up. One of my favorite things to do, by the way, go out in a dark place and just go out and stare at the sky. Love that. God says, so your descendants will be. I've read somewhere that if in the Middle East, on a dark night, and a clear night, that, that you can see some 8,000 stars. But astronomers say that they have so far cataloged some 30,000 stars. Pretty impressive. And apparently, for a small fee, you can have one named after you or a loved one. I haven't seen those ads in a while. But <laughs> but, but the reality is that nobody knows how many stars there are. Astronomers can only guess. And the astronomers say that they, they guess the number is over a hundred billion. Well, I think God's making two points here. And the first one's pretty obvious. God's saying, Abram, just, just look up at the stars, and if you could count them, your descendants will be like that. You won't be able to count them, just like you can't count the stars. But I think there's another point. And I think it's this Abram, you can't count the stars, but I can. Psalm 147 won't be written for quite a while, Abram's descendant. But David wrote this, he said, He, God, numbers the stars and calls them each by name. The prophet Isaiah said this similarly. He said, lift your eyes and, and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of His great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. See, what the Scripture says is we can't count the stars. We don't even know how many there are, but God knows exactly how many there are. And He's given every single one of them a name. And, and with His mighty strength and mighty power, He, he controls them. When one goes into a supernova and flames out, it wasn't an accident. God planned it. He knows what's happening. Nothing's missing. No accident. And do you see the message, I think, that's there? It's, hey, Abe, again, look up here. You can't even know how many stars there are. I spoke them into existence. I keep track of them all. I've named them all. If I can do that, how hard do you think it is for me to take care of this child thing? Trust me. That brings us to the second key to overcoming our fears. Verse 6 says this, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. This significant verse contains the Bible's first clear message of the way of salvation. And there, there's three key words here in this, in this verse that are the essence of this verse. 
the words believed and the words credited and the words righteousness. And, and if we just look at those three words, we'll get the, the big point of this verse and why it's such a big deal. And I'm going to take them in reverse. I'm going to start with the word righteousness. See, because that word really has built into it our greatest need. Abram's greatest need at this time, he might have thought, was a bigger army. Or maybe he thought his biggest need was just financial security, stability. Or, or maybe he really thought his biggest need, I think, he, what he thought was it's an heir. I wonder what you think your biggest need is. You think your biggest need is a relationship? Someone to love you? You think your biggest need is fixing a problem in your marriage? Do you think your biggest need is, is a career or, or a job or a bank account? Whatever you think your biggest need is, the reality is our biggest need is found in the very end of the book. You go to the book of Revelation and you turn back two chapters to Revelation chapter 20 and our absolutely biggest need is pictured there in Revelation chapter 20 where it says, I saw the dead, both great and small, who have been raised to life to stand before Almighty God and there to give account. And what is needed there at that moment is this word, righteousness. For without it, there is condemnation and the lake of fire. Despite popular opinion, God is not an old Grandpa Bubba who winks at sin and welcomes pretty good people into heaven. Rather, the Bible is very clear. God is perfectly righteous, absolutely holy. And because He is a holy God, He must require perfect righteousness for heaven. He must punish sin. Our greatest need is righteousness, but we don't have it. Because the Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Paul wrote in the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. We all know that instinctively. The second key word here is this word credited or reckoned. It's an accounting term. It's a banking term. God credited Adam's account with righteousness. He didn't have it. God credited it to his account. That's a cool thing. Because as we learn from the rest of Scripture, we find out that our account before God isn't just empty, our account before God is full, but it's full of the wrong stuff. What we have instead of a credit of righteousness is a debt of sin. And that's a bad place to be. See, Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of sin is death. We have earned death. It has been credited to our account because of our sin. And it's there in our account. It's a debit and it's a debit, it's a debt we can't pay. God is not only, however, holy and righteous and just, so He must judge sin, God is also loving. And that's where the good news comes in. It's the rest of this verse. God has a gift of eternal life. And what God did in Abraham's case was He, he erased the debt of sin and He credited righteousness to Abram's account. And what God wants to do for anybody and everybody is to erase the debt of sin and credit 
to their account righteousness. And the righteousness is there because of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for your sin and my sin to pay the debt. So how do we get the debt erased and the credit put there? How do we get our account fixed? Well, it's the third key verse, key word that's there. And it's that word believed. Abram believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. God saved Abram from sin not and, and He saved him from hell and He gave him this credit of righteousness not because Abram was a good guy, not because Abram did some good things. He credited it to him as righteousness because Abram believed. He believed and trusted God. That's why this verse right here in, in chapter 15, verse 6 is often called the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we know this verse, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So this morning, an important question. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? That's the most critical and crucial choice that you can make to trust Jesus Christ, to believe in this truth of God that Jesus died for your sin. You trust Him as your Savior and that step of faith, the Bible says, forever settles your eternal destiny. It forever changes everything. In that moment, if you say, I I believe, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, John chapter 5, you are passed from death into life. The Scripture says that we are born again. And if any man is in Christ, if he believes in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. And John 3.16 that we just read, it says that you have, not will have someday, but you have right then eternal life. That's the good news. So if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, God invites you today to receive this good gift that He has bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's nothing you can earn. It's not about being good. It's not about being joining the church, good as that is. It's only by trusting in Jesus Christ. He invites you to do that right now, right where you sit. Now, that step, while it forever changes your destiny and that settles your eternal destiny, that step is just the beginning of living a life of faith in this life. And here's the the application for all of you who say, yeah, I've, I've trusted in Jesus as my Savior. He is my Savior. May I ask you this, are you trusting Him? Not just with your salvation, but with all the other stuff. The disconnect for many of us is we'll trust Jesus Christ with the most important thing, my eternal destiny. But somehow when it comes down to this little problem or that little problem, well, I'm really not sure that God can handle that one. So I better worry about this one myself. (laughs) So this is such a big deal. First thing, we need to know the Word of God. What does God say? Saturate our hearts and our minds in the Word of God. Secondly, we need to believe God. It begins with a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and it continues as day by day, hour by hour. 
We say, Lord, I believe you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you, God. God had more to say. He goes on. God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, and he cut them in half, and he arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and a dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Wow, we could obviously spend at least a sermon or two on that. Let me just point out just a couple of things real quick. Abram asked, how can I possess it? And he has some doubts. And it may seem surprising that right after all of this great statement of his faith, that, that comes another doubt. Well, well, Lord, how can I be sure? <laughs> and he said, I, I'm encouraged by that. Because what I realize is that having faith doesn't always mean not having doubts. It doesn't mean the end of questions. Faith is, I may have questions, but I follow anyway. I believe anyway. And I, I can't say for certain, but I, I really don't think that, that Abram's question here and that his concern and that his doubt is that God is going to make good in His promise. I think he believes God will. I think Abram's concern really is, what if I mess up? Because I've messed up before God and I probably will again. And He will, by the way. What if I mess up? God, are you just going to say, you know, Abram, that was three strikes. You're out, buddy. <laughs> how, how can I know, Lord, that this is, that this is really going to happen? That this, these promises are, are mine. God responds to that question in a way that seems unusual. He takes these, he has him bring these animals and then cut these animals in half and lay the two halves out in, in this row. And what he's doing is God is cutting a covenant. How can I know? And God cuts a covenant. And see, in those days, when you're really doing a serious agreement, you didn't draw up a contract with a team of lawyers. They would take an animal or two or three and they would cut them and put them out in these two halves and then they would read the contract or the covenant, the agreement, and then the two parties would join hands and they would walk between the, the pieces of the animals. And the point was, of course, that if we don't keep this... Uh, May what happened to us be what happened to the animals. Saying this is a serious thing. And so God cuts a covenant with Abram. He has him lay out the pieces. 
And then God begins to tell, here's the, here's the covenant. And God alone, as we, we go on down, God alone makes this covenant. God tells Abram, He says, you're going to die in peace. He gives him some assurance. He says, Abram, you're going to die in peace at an old age. None of those fears that you're worried about are going to come to pass. By the way, isn't that the way it is with most of our fears? We spend an awful lot of time worrying about stuff and most of it never happens. Abram, your descendants will indeed inherit the land, but before that happens, they're going to live as aliens in a foreign land and they're going to endure 400 years of slavery and they're going to, and mistreatment and then they're going to come back to the land and inherit this place. Just a little glimpse of the future to see that God has bigger and more complex plans in mind than we ever dream and than we can ever fathom. That's why we're better off not really knowing all the future. <laughs> we just need to trust that God has a good plan because He does. And then we note that only God, pictured by that fire pot and that torch, only God passed between the, the animals. The implication of that is pretty plain. It's saying that the fulfillment of this promise doesn't depend on Abram. It depends on God alone. There's assurance here because it depends on God alone. And that brings us to the third point. See, God always keeps His promises. Because of that, you and I need to rest in God's promises. Because we need to be assured that whatever God has said, He will do. That's what God was signifying as He went through the animals. Whatever I've said, I will do. But God doesn't have to pass through animals and cut a covenant for us to know that. God is unchanging. God will not lie because He is holy and righteous. And so whatever God has said, He will do. And so, you and I, we need to Know the Word of God so that we know the promises of God. And we can believe God and we can then rest in God because He will always do what He says. The last three verses, I held those off till I end here because I just have to read these because they're just going to bless your heart. To your descendants I give the land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Didn't that just bless your heart? Pastor, you just read a bunch of names of people that I don't know much about, that I really care about. Matter of fact, for most of us, we've probably never heard about. So what's the point? Exactly that. Not one of these peoples are still around today. None of them. But God's people, the Jews, still around. Despite concerted efforts several times through history to exterminate the entire population of the Jews, they failed. Despite being expelled from the land a couple of times by, as God promised and said He would do, they were expelled from the land because of their unbelief and their faithlessness. In our own time, in the last hundred years, they've been moved back into the land as God said because He made a promise and He said, I give this to your descendants forever. 
When God makes a promise, He always keeps a promise. God has a future for Israel. And that, brothers and sisters, ought to do a couple of things. First of all, when we see just the reality of the survival of the Jews, that alone ought to be enough to say, wow, <laughs> this book is it's true. And personally, it's a reminder to you and me that God always keeps His promises. So the next time we're tempted to fear, may that drive us back to the book to learn the Word of God. May it drive us to believe God and then to rest in His promises. Let's pray. Father God, thank You. We need this message because a bunch of us here today are fearful of stuff. Silly stuff. Important stuff. <laughs> stuff we think is out of control or is huge. In reality, none of it is a big deal to the eternal sovereign Creator God. You care about it because you care about us. But Lord, may we recognize you have made us, you've called us to be your children, you love us, you care about us, and you're in control. We can rest, we can trust you with all the stuff. Lord, remove fear from our heart, remove fear from our life, replace it with trust in you. So we might live boldly in faith for your glory. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.